There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Here I am in the lovely state of California, but there's nothing lovely about San Francisco anymore. When I think to how this used to be one of the most beautiful cities in America... And what we see here now, it makes me sad. It really does. This morning, I took my grandsons to school, got in yesterday, and I was driving behind a driverless car. Now, that made me nervous. I may not be the best driver, but at least I'm in the car. And I'm reading articles since I got here about how driverless cars got stuck in wet concrete in San Francisco, although they don't seem to get into a lot of accidents. They do run into all kinds of other trouble. And all I kept saying, I was, my husband was with me and I said, would you get into a driverless car? Because my grandson said, they'll take you for free. You can call them and it's like a free Uber. They'll come pick you up and they'll take you for free, or at least they'll do it the first time. And there is just no way that I'm getting into a driverless car. It's just not going to happen. Not yet. The day will come when I'll look back and say, remember when I didn't want to get into a driverless car? And now I do it all the time. San Francisco now has no zone, no go zones like they did in parts of Europe a couple of years ago when everybody denied it and said, oh, that's not true. You can go anywhere in London that you want to go. And then little by slowly, we started to see a lot of video evidence that no, you could not go anywhere you wanted in London, that there were areas that even the police agreed were no-go zones. So it's crazy, you know. Um, They got them in our own country right now in not just our own country, but in one of the major cities in our country. That's crazy. In light of the conditions that the federal government building. Listen to this. This will blow your mind. Employees who work for health and human services are being told to work from home. Maximize the use of telework for the foreseeable future, says Cheryl Campbell, HHH Assistant Secretary for Administration. That's part of a memo that was sent out to all federal employees in San Francisco just a couple of days ago. Crime is so bad in downtown San Francisco, where the federal building that we're talking about is located, that they're telling the workers, it's not safe for you to come to work. Your government no longer considers it safe to have you come into the office. So as I said before, one of America's greatest cities now has a no-go zone, which is pretty much what you see in the big hell holes on the planet. So the owner of one of the most historic businesses in San Francisco, it's called Gump's, 
And Gump's not like Forrest, well, spelled like Forrest Gump, but Gump's luxury department store sent out a letter, a full-page ad, actually, that they published in the San Francisco Chronicle. And this is what they said. Grumps has been a San Francisco icon for more than 165 years. Today, as we prepare for our 166th holiday season at 250 Post Street, we fear this may be our last because of the profound erosion of the city's current conditions. San Francisco now suffers from a tyranny of the minority. Behavior and actions of the few that jeopardize the livelihood of the many. The ramifications of COVID policies advising people to abandon their offices are only beginning to be understood. Equally devastating has been a litany of destructive San Francisco strategies, including allowing the homeless to occupy our sidewalks, to openly distribute and use illegal drugs, to harass the public, and to defile the city streets. Such abject disregard for civilized conduct makes San Francisco unlivable for its residents, unsafe for our employees, and unwelcoming to visitors from around the world. How long have I been talking about what happens on the streets where the homeless and the drug addicts literally defecate openly anywhere they want? And so the city's response to that was to create that app, which I think is called SnapCrap. And I didn't make that up. It's real. And what it does is you take a picture of a place where you find human feces and you send the picture to the city and then they dispatch a team to clean up the mess. San Francisco now has one of the highest crime rates in the country. It's more dangerous than 98% of any other community that is in California. Homicides are up 20% since the beginning of the year. Robberies and motor vehicle thefts are up 14% and well, actually, motor vehicle thefts are up 13%, robberies are up 14%, and that's according to San Francisco police data. So it's not me saying that. Nordstrom's just pulled out of San Francisco. If you walk into Target, which I do frequently, all of the products are locked up to prevent shoplifting. Whole Foods looks like it's going to be pulling out. This is not just a couple of isolated cases. Everybody's getting out. There were 203 retail, retailers that used to be open on the streets that surround San Francisco's Union Square, which is a historic place. In 2019, before COVID, there were 203 reta retailers, and now there's only 100. So half of them went bye-bye. The entire Westfield Mall in downtown San Francisco shut its doors. The owners of the mall left no doubt as to why they were doing it. They said a growing number of retailers and businesses are leaving. It's unsafe for our customers. It's unsafe for the employees who work for the retailers. And you couple that with the fact that we can't get an economic recovery going in this area, we're out. Nordstrom's out. You can't make this stuff up. And I bring it up, of course, because I'm here, but this is coming soon to a town near you. Whole, you know, you walk into the Target. Now, I understand that there are certain things that are kept behind locked doors, even back home in Florida. And you know that you'll walk into a Walgreens or uh, even a, a, a Target 
and you'll see that the uh, nail polish and the fake eyelashes and things like that, or the fake nails, they're all under like a special lock and you have to call someone to come over and open it for you because apparently these are easily shoplifted and people all over the country do that. But here in California, you can't get a razor blade, you can't get a, uh, a package of, of uh, tissues, nothing. It's all under lock and key. That's pretty awful. You know, and I feel sorry for my grandkids, like my daughter and her husband, my son and his wife. This is their choice. They want to live like this. They think it's worth it. They make lots of money. And so they just continue to live like this. But how's a little kid growing up like this ever going to understand how this country did not look like this not that long ago? When I was growing up, we were laughing the other day. When I was growing up, you didn't have to lock your front door. And I lived in pretty much a ghetto in Manhattan, in New York City. If any place was probably prone to robberies and prone to assaults and things like that, it was probably the neighborhood I grew up in, Washington Heights. But we didn't lock our front door. People just didn't come into your house. They had respect for your door being closed. Now, we got to the rental car place, which is a whole story in and of itself. We thought we could save a few bucks renting a car from something called Fox. And I don't care if they sue me because it was a nightmare. It's not on the side of the airport. It's not even after you get off the AirTran. No, you have to get on a shuttle after the AirTran. And then we show up at this place and there's like 30 people ahead of us online and about 10 cars in the parking lot. So needless to say, we jumped in an Uber and now we're driving around in my daughter's car. But I got to tell you, the first thing I heard when I got to the rental car place was, oh, I didn't hear it. I saw it on a big sign. Do not leave anything inside of the car. So I said to one of the attendants that was walking around, I said, do you have a lot of theft, you know, in these rental cars? He says, it's ridiculous. They just smash in the window and take your suitcase or whatever you left in there. Now, Florida is not exactly the panacea. It's not like we don't have any crime. I'm looking at some reports that are coming across my feed right now. Apparently there was a sexual assault in Lauderdale. So stuff happens everywhere. But I've never seen a warning to not leave things in my rental car in a Fort Lauderdale car rental agency. Just not happened. Not that I believe you should leave stuff in your car, but you're kind of asking for trouble if it's visible. But to be told, Point blank. So when I got to my daughter's house, I said, hey, what's that all about? And she said, well, that's mostly with rental cars. And I said, oh, okay, so you can leave stuff in your car. No, no, don't leave stuff. <laughs> you know, because my daughter will never admit that anything is really wrong. Not with some of the crazy medical decisions that have been made over the last couple of years. You know, we cannot talk about vaccines. She just rolls her eyes. Um, and she's a doctor, so I'm not going to get into an argument with her, even though we disagree. But if I tell her the streets are not safe in San Francisco, like I'm using her car. So she walked to work and last night she took a walk in the evening and I'm like panicking. Like, are you sure you should go out by yourself? And, you know, she's unarmed. And she said, oh, please, everything is fine. She walked in Golden Gate Park. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But I have to be quiet because she will never admit there might be a problem. And then this morning, we got into a conversation about vaccines, and she started rolling her eyes, so I stopped that conversation. 
And then she asked me a question about Ron DeSantis. And while I do not support his attempt to run for the nomination for the candidacy of the United States president, um, I certainly respect and admire Governor DeSantis. And I've told you before, there are some things I feel he does that are unnecessary. It's not that I don't agree with them, but they're unnecessary. Like this whole thing with colleges and trying to make sure that there's no woke ideology in colleges. Like you can't really undo woke ideology that much. And he picks these small colleges that nobody goes to anyway. Go attack FAU and FAMU or, or NOVA. What are you attacking the, you know, these small colleges? It's like, I don't know. So, so I, I, we were able to have like a civil conversation about that. She will not bring up Trump. She knows better. And that's, uh, that's how it is. I know I'm not the only person who has family members that you can no longer have un... What's the word? Un... Well, you better know what you're talking about. And you better not talk about certain things. You know, uncensored. That's what it is. I have to have censored conversations with my daughter. And, you know, I will do anything to maintain a decent relationship with any member of my family. And sometimes that means biting my tongue. They know where I stand. We've had the conversation, but we don't need to go round and round and round and round. We just don't. Although it's kind of funny, whenever you say Joe Biden, they all grimace. <laughs> well, you would grimace too if you were trying to figure out a way to support him, wouldn't you? Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app on your phone. That way you can listen to the show on your cell phone or listen to a podcast or anything else. And if you don't have the desire to have another app on your phone, and I can relate to that too, just visit our website, 850WFTL.com, and you have access to contests and all kinds of good stuff. In the meantime, I'm going to take a quick break. Stay right where you are. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I must admit, I'm uh, really not just becoming used to 3 o'clock, but I'm really kind of enjoying it because there's a lot of news that literally comes out at that point, which is awesome, you know. Um... There's a hurricane happening. Now, everybody in Florida, like, gets all nervous if I say the word hurricane because we're the most likely place for hurricanes, right? Well, right now, there is a recently formed tropical system that has become something called Hurricane Hillary. You got to love it, right? And the AccuWeather meteorologists are saying it's torrential rain and the potential for major flash flooding in the southwestern United States. So my poor kid Derek in LA is looking at a hurricane after all this nonsense that he told me about, well, you know, I'm not coming back to Florida. We could have hurricanes there. Well, maybe, um, maybe not so fast. Pacific hurricanes like this one are very likely to cause flash flooding and mudslides and washouts. And they got like 80... 80 mile per hour wind gusts right now. So, so much for only people in Florida worry about hurricanes. And one thing about people in Florida, we don't have to worry about earthquakes, not much. 
Anyway, the other thing, the other story that really uh, needs to be talked about, but I don't hear many people talking about it. I, d I didn't have a chance to hear all of Dan's show, but the mortgage rates are going up. That's why you got to call Michael Kotze a choice soon because they're going to go up. There were experts talking to MarketWatch that if the economy continues in the direction that it's going and the Federal Reserve hikes the benchmark rate one more time, that we could see interest rates go up to 8%. And that, my friends, would be really troubling. But right now, the home builders are, they're not happy because all of this excitement that there was in the home building market, they started all of these projects and now they're not able to, to close on some of those deals. You know, right now, I think that, that right now rates are ho holding at about 7%. And that is not good for home builders. And they do move the economy. If the mortgage rate spread, which is right now at a level that we haven't seen since the early 1980s, and all I can tell you about the early 1980s was I had a mortgage that was like in the teens. We haven't seen anything like that. Uh, I don't know if they'd ever seen anything like that before, maybe during the Great Recession, but certainly we had never seen anything like that. And of course, that's one of the reasons that we always say, you know, Jimmy Carter may have been the worst president ever, although now he is definitely rivaled by the one and only uh, Joe Biden. I can't even talk about Joe Biden without getting like a sour taste in my mouth, but that's uh, one thing or another. Rosalind Carter, speaking of the Carters, will turn 96 years old this week. And Jimmy Carter is getting close to 99 years old. And despite some very serious health problems and the fact that he entered hospice six months ago and Rosalind has dementia, they are still sitting next to each other in the living room of the bungalow they built in 1961 in Plains, Georgia. All their friends and family that go to see them say they have surprisingly good days. <laughs> and that this summer they even went for a ride with the Secret Service to watch the 4th of July fireworks in their hometown. They say Jimmy Carter is often out of bed first, waiting in his recliner for his wife to emerge. Rosalind will come into the room and make a beeline for this chair, bends over and kisses him. Then they spend hours sitting side by side. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not better for human beings to be married because it's a lie. It will extend your life. It will make you a happier person. Now, obviously, if you're married to some kind of uh, ogre or if your marriage has been on the rocks and you just stuck it out for the kids and now the kids are grown, well, then I understand how you might want to get out. But for most of the people, especially I look at myself, marriage was hard when I was young. Marriage is easy now because what you're looking for is a best friend. You know, it's nice to have romance, and I do, but more than anything, I need somebody who has my back. Somebody who, no matter what, may roll their eyes, but they don't walk away. And I think that's true of most people. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Still don't know quite how to work this microphone as I'm on a remote location. But so Jimmy Carter 
is actually following the election, really. He is following all the charges, all the indictments. We had another indictment this week. I covered it extensively yesterday, so I'm not going to cover it anymore. Enough is enough. <coughs> Although the more I hear and the more I listen to the experts, this is going to be a disaster. They don't have a case. They don't have a legitimate case, and they're violating all kinds of constitutional law. And this Fanny or Fanny, I don't know how you pronounce Fanny Willis's name. I call her Fanny because it looks like that. But she has really gone out on a very, very weak limb, as did Alvin Bragg, as did Jack Smith. I mean, the country perceives this as being very political. And how is that going to work? to benefit anyone. You know, I'm looking at Drudge. I think everybody still checks out Drudge once in a while. But Drudge is just like CNN. It's just like all the other Alphabet Soup networks. Because, of course, it's all like, oh, only a 35% favorability rating for Donald Trump. Well, that may be true, but he's still way ahead of the other Republicans. And he's still ahead of Joe Biden, whether they want to tell you about that or not. And then they do a Fox poll, like I'm supposed to trust a Fox poll which says that the majority of people think he did something illegal. First and foremost, they don't tell you how the poll was conducted or what the question was that was asked. And, you know, I think the majority of people have done something illegal in the course of their life. But I don't see that anyone has established what it is they think that Donald Trump did that was illegal. You're allowed to question an election. You're out, allowed to tweet out your opinion. You're allowed to ask for phone numbers. All these things that, you know, they put in these indictments, they're just garbage. They're not going to hold up. And instead, what I think the result is, is that a whole lot of people, a whole lot of registered voters are looking at this and thinking, we don't want a third world banana republic. Alan Dershowitz gave it three bananas. Mark Levin said, we're full out banana republic. You can forget about three bananas. We got all, all the bananas. And I would have to agree. And I think a lot of people feel that way, which is not good for this country, not at all. So I'll just continue to hold the line. I don't care if it costs me a couple of relationships here or there. I don't think it will especially since the very people who are always commenting to me like, oh, Donald Trump, bad, orange man, bad, all agree that if he gets the nomination, they're voting for him. Because as bad as you may think he is, do you really want to see the Democrats in control of this country? Because if they, if they get back in control of this country in every branch of government, like including the House, you might as well figure out where you're going to dig your bunker and how you're going to get there in time. All right, let me take a quick break. I have another set, well, I have two segments left in this show, so stay right where you are. I've got a lot more to talk about. I'll be right back. Often I'll see some articles and I'll look at them, and the headline will actually shake me to my very core. And then I'll click on, because I think this is how they do it, right? They try to get you to click on, and I'll click on and I'll go, This is much ado about nothing. What is that all? have to do with anything, and then I'll find out. Like, for instance, there were a ton of headlines in the last 24 hours 
about how so-called Trump supporters had put names and addresses of the Georgia grand jurors on the internet. The names and addresses of members of the grand jury that indicted President Trump and 18 of his co-defendants on the RICO charges and some fringe website that is, is one of these websites I never visit. I never even heard about it, but somehow NBC News knew all about it. And they don't want to name the website because, of course, then more people will check out this website, they think. And basically what happened was they posted some threats against Fannie or Fannie Willis. And they also listed the purported addresses of the grand jurors. Now, it's becoming very commonplace to see everyday citizens who are just doing what they have to be doing, like, for instance, sitting on a grand jury. You could be called for a grand jury. I could be. And then they get targeted. And the way the article was written by Trump-supporting extremists, the lack of political leadership on the right to denounce these threats, which serve to inspire real-world political violence, is shameful. Now, let me ask you. I haven't heard anything about this. Zero. The only people who are talking about it are like Ralph Raphael Warnock, the Democrat senator from Georgia, and a bunch of people who are involved in the BLM, in the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, meanwhile, this is the grand jury where the forewoman did like a media tour and talking about how happy she'd be to serve Donald Trump and how, you know, this is a big moment for her. And that would have jeopardized any other trial, but apparently didn't jeopardize the indictments. And so when, who are the people using the internet to create tension and political unrest? Because it's not me. It's not any of the people I know who support Donald Trump. Au contraire, we're all saying, hold your fire, stay back. We don't know how any of this is going to turn out yet. We will find, uh, you know, a good method, whether it's at the ballot box or whether it's through petitions to counteract what we see as the corruption of a democracy. Like I'm convinced that we need to move if they continue down this path. It's quite clear to me that this is not a healthy direction for this country. I don't care who you support. But I have no intention of any acts of violence. And I don't think anybody I know, I really can speak for literally thousands of Donald Trump supporters who wouldn't do anything violent. Just not in our nature. Now, will we campaign? Yes. Will we try to get poll watchers? Yes. Anything that's legit, we're going to do it. But we're sitting here and we're watching how they have affected an upcoming election and they're claiming that they're doing it to protect elections. How does that work? If you've got the, the prevailing candidate, the person who's got the most support on the opposition side from the current administration under multiple indictments before there's even a primary, and now 
uh, D.A. Willis is actually calling for the trial to begin like at the beginning of the Republican primary season. How is that not election interference? How does anybody think that, that a person can campaign while they're running back and forth to these various courtrooms defending themselves? You know, I haven't seen whether or not any of the co-defendants or Donald Trump himself have gone into the office where they're at the clerk, where they've been called to answer these charges. I mean, they have till noon tomorrow. So they're running out of time here. But I'm thinking about like, if you're on the campaign trail, you're in Iowa or you're in New Hampshire or wherever you happen to be in these early stages of the campaign, that's where we see them going. That's where Ron DeSantis is going. That's where Donald Trump is going. So if you're doing that and you got to get back to Atlanta or you got to get back to DC to appear for an arraignment, how's that not ridiculous? Then I heard this whole thing about how they were afraid, the court was afraid that Donald Trump would flee. He's already given his uh, passport, his documents over in the D.C. case. So where's he fleeing to? And why would he flee? He's running in a, an election. He's running in a primary right now, which he happens to be leading. Does anybody really believe that Donald Trump is a flight risk? Of course not. But if you can say that loud enough and make his life hard enough, their hope is that he stands no chance of taking that nomination away from, and now let me tell you the order of his competitors in the Republican primary. Behind him is Vivek Ramaswamy, somebody who two years ago, nobody had ever heard of. I had because I read his book. Okay, and then in third place, you have Governor Ron DeSantis, who if you live outside of Florida, you probably have a pretty jaded opinion about, as I'm listening to people in California talk about him, they don't have a clue what they're talking about, but they're talking. And then you have, right behind them, you have, who knows, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, some guy named Doug, I don't know, a whole bunch of people I never heard of. And I'm looking, a guy named Perry, there's a whole bunch of candidates that none of us have ever heard of and have absolutely no chance of getting this nomination, particularly when you look at the numbers. Every day, Donald Trump is attacked by the media, attacked by the judicial system, the Department of Justice and uh, DAs in New York and in Georgia. And his numbers just keep going up. He keeps getting further and further ahead of his competition. At some point, do they not have to admit that all this is backfiring and that perhaps they ought to reconsider how they deal with this? Because I, I just can't believe they're stupid enough to think that eventually it's going to work. It's like saying that I believe that Joe Biden eventually would be a good president. I don't believe that. Nobody believes that. And so now when you have these accusations that we haven't seen any evidence of them being accurate or them being illegal. I mean, when you got Alan Dershowitz saying, this is ridiculous, this is a no case case, or when you have Mark Levin saying like, this is a banana republic at its worst, that does filter down into the psyche. You're not gonna 
get away with this. You might get by, but you won't get away. And so then what ends up happening is you actually embolden Trump supporters because we're not putting the grand jurors' addresses on the internet, okay? Most Trump supporters are just waiting to see how much more poop they can throw. Like we don't know about any more, any more indictments, but I'm sure they're not done. Look at the number of indictments. I've never seen anything like this. We had mob boys, bosses when I was growing up in New York, mob families, and they were being prosecuted once I was an adult by guys like Rudy Giuliani under the RICO statutes, okay? And I don't remember a single case where you had over 100 counts in indictments. Never. And these were guys who were hitmen, guys who were shaking down business communities, guys that were buying politicians, guys that were assassinating politicians, okay? And I never saw this volume. But for Donald Trump, all bets are off, right? He's so big that you got to hit him 150 times to maybe make a dent. And then when you look at the poll numbers, you go, well, wait a second, this isn't even working. It's not resonating with the people. So I, I don't know how much longer they can do this. I really don't. But I'm convinced that if they keep it up long enough, then you're going to see some pretty dramatic stuff. Uh, right after this show, at 4 o'clock, the um, Fox Business Network is going to have an interview between Larry Kudlow, who I love, and Donald Trump, who I love. And if you've ever seen the chemistry between the two of them, I promise it's going to be worth watching. So I'm, you know, I'm going to sign off at the end of my show, and that's where I'm going. Now, you know, I'll keep Eric Erickson on in the background, but I'm going to watch that. Because I know that when you assess the damage that's being done to this country, it's not just Trump supporters who are disturbed about it. No, it's people of all stripes. It's a lot of independents. It's a lot of moderate and even conservative Democrats. There still are some of those. They don't get talked to or talked about very much, but I know them. And I keep thinking to myself, when are they going to get bold and come out? Because it's important. And you see the bad news dripping out that gets no coverage at all but it won't be for long. Anyway, let me take my final break. I do have another segment left. And then, of course, at uh, 4 o'clock, Eric Erickson comes along, then Joe Paggs, Lars Larson, and all the guys overnight. And then tomorrow morning, we begin all over again with Jen and Bill on the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, and, of course, followed by Dan Bongino, who said, interestingly enough, that if Donald Trump were to be placed in jail, He'd have to have a Secret Service contingent in there with him. Think about that for a second. These guys have just gone so far out in left field and have thought little a bit about what this actually means that they've become a joke. All right, let me take my final break. I'll be right back. Uh, just in the culture war segment, I don't know if I actually do a culture war segment, but I feel inclined to do one today. I was looking at some market analysts online and two of them gave very grim news to Bud Light. One predicts there would be no recovery for the brand 
RBC Capital Markets Analyst James Jones wrote in a note this week, according to the Yahoo Finance website that I was looking at, recent sales data show that retail store dollar sales of the brand dropped almost 27% in the week ending July 15th, 28% in the week ending July 21st, and meanwhile, the beer is no longer number one. Modelo Especial has taken over that position. And of course, this is a direct result of using a TikTok transgendered activist by the name of Dylan Mulvaney on some silly, th you know, TikTok video where he's got, bo not boxes, uh, what are they called, cans of Bud Light promoting him. It wasn't an advertisement. It was a simple one post that Dylan Mulvaney was doing. People pay for these influencers to post things on their websites, on their TikTok feeds, on their Instagram accounts, whatever. And this was an influencer who was not even part of an official marketing campaign. According to the CEO of the beverage company, Michael Dukaris, I think is his name. I can't remember. Michael Dukaris, here it is. Um, he said social media driven misinformation and confusion were part of the problem without actually saying what the problem was, but uh, they're going to triple their investment in Bud Light over the summer. And they're going to provide bonuses and incentives to the people who lost money, you know, uh, frontline workers like drivers. Mm -hmm. But president of Bump Williams Consulting told the Wall Street Journal that spending more to fix the problem won't do much. The Bud Light shopper who has left the brand has zero interest in coming back. You can spend all the money you want, but until you fix the problem, until you apologize and admit you made a mistake, you're just throwing your money away. Now, Deutsche Bank did, uh, their analysts did a survey with 600 people, and they found that the proportion of consumers who no longer purchase Bud Light fell from 21% to 19%, so 2% came back. It also found that Bud Light drinkers who say they're very unlikely to buy the brand in the next three to six months, that dropped from 18% to just 3%, and that was in MarketWatch, because I'm trying to look up on various sites. So, you know, this is a strange time period. And if you want to know how elections are going to go, you've got to watch these culture wars very carefully because they're going to play out in the upcoming election. And if people are so mad that they're not going to go back to drinking what used to be their favorite brand of beer, then they may be mad enough to vote for candidates who the mainstream media doesn't like and continues to attack. And if that's true, and I believe it is, then lo and behold, we're going to see some interesting results at the polls this time around. I said this in 2016, and everybody thought I was crazy. Let me say it again as clearly as I can. Everything they're trying to do is backfiring, which means that this is going to be one of those elections where there may be some big surprises for all the pundits and all the mainstream guys where they're going to have to eat crow after the election. Not me. I won't have to eat crow. Unless, of course, I'm completely wrong. And that's always a possibility, but that's okay. At least I'm wrong in what I believe and not faking it.
So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here at 3 o'clock tomorrow, only live from San Francisco, so it'll be 12 o'clock where I am, but I'll be back if it be his will and he delays his come. Now remember, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us, that's a tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.